Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, just a word of warning. mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall, either. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Good afternoon, Cambridge, and welcome to today's Bums on Seats, your fortnightly film review show. My name is Yossi Osman, and I'll be your host today. And joining me, we have Simon West. Hello. Lorcan O'Neill. Hello. Ashley Capaldi. Hello. And Nick West. Hello. On today's movie menu, we have a smorgasbord of films to suit every taste. Starting us off, we have Martin Scorsese's distinguished gangster epic The Irishman, followed by Rian Johnson's witty whodunit Knives Out. Keeping up on the subject of crime, we'll move on to London drama Blue Story before taking a slightly different turn with Battle of the Sexes fable Judy and Punch. To finish us off on something altogether different, we'll be going on an enchanted adventure to Arendelle with Disney sequel Frozen 2. So that's what we have to come today, lots and lots, but first off, we will start with The Irishman. I was one of a thousand working stiffs until I wasn't no more. You got a good friend here. You don't know how good a friend you got. Russell, he took a shine to me right away. After a while, he started giving me little things to do. I know you read a lot of things about me. I just want to say I'm sorry. I know I wasn't a good dad. I know that. I know that. I was just trying to protect all of you. From what? You didn't see what I see, what I've been through. A friend of ours is having a little trouble. A friend at the top. Hi, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. Glad to meet you. Big business and the government is on the attack! You want to be a part of this fight? A part of this history? Whatever you need me to do, I'm available. So that was the trailer for The Irishman, which is currently showing on Netflix. Directed, directed by Martin Scorsese, The Irishman is a biographical crime thriller that sees, sees Robert De Niro star as World War II veteran Frank Sheeran, a truck driver turned mobster hitman who recalls pivotal moments of his life in organised crime in the 1950s, including his involvement with the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino. With an epic running time of 209 minutes, the, hill, the film has been hailed as a masterpiece by many critics. But what do our reviewers think? I've, I've already seen a shaking of the head beside me, but we will come to that. We'll come to you first, uh, Nick. Um, a lot of people, when they're thinking about The Irishman, they're, they're thinking of films such as Mean Streets and Goodfellas, the classics by Martin Scorsese. Is there anything that makes this different i think the thing about this film is that you need to appreciate it it's not when you're going to go out and come out saying oh that was brilliant that was fantastic this really got me you're almost visiting his greatest hits which isn't necessarily a bad thing because his greatest hits are so good but when you're looking at you know de niro doing his piece and joe pesci and al pacino they're all terrific actors and but things like this has been designed to give them their last final show you know their last final performance their last final directing film um, and that's how I came away with it um, I watched it over three different sessions um, because I was away this way I watched half of it on an iPad 
and the other half in two sessions on on the TV um, with Netflix, um, which was a very interesting way to watch it, but I don't think that impacted the film at all. Um, it's not one that comes up with lots of drama, with lots of excitement. It's just basically lots of watching these guys act um, with a little bit of violence here and there um, and just sort of sitting through and watching it. It's not one that really grabs you, but you can't help come away from it thinking that was some guys at the top of their form, possibly for the last time. So it's worthwhile just for that, I think. You mentioned that it, it sort of feels a bit like a swan song, in particular for some of the actors that are mm. in in this film, um, Joe Pesci, uh, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, uh, for example. Is it really just a showcase for their talents rather than having anything else in terms of plot or or anything? Well, really? I think it, it has been for some way because I, from what I understand, De Niro and Scorsese often look for things to do together um, and they haven't done something for for quite a while i'm not sure which the last thing they did together was um but certainly this goes back to the old start it's a gangster film it's a mob film that's what they did best you know it's a case of looking at it say what did we do best when we were younger can we do it again uh, and they picked the perfect um you know story for it I and mean, i think robert de niro um is is excellent in what he does uh, and he hasn't done anything good for so long some of his best stuff recently has been comedy um and it hasn't been so, you know, it's been so much time since you had, you know, a taxi driver from him or a Goodfellas. I think, you know, Casino was possibly the last great role he did, give or take, that wasn't a comedy role. So to go back to that, it's almost like showing, you know, a new generation, maybe two generations, you know, when these guys did gangster films, they were the best. You know, you can't get over, you know, what De Niro did in Godfather, what the guys did in Goodfellas, um, what Scorsese's done like Mean Streets. Or the early stuff, and hopefully, you know, one good thing that might come out of this if you get um, a younger generation of film goers seeing this, especially as it's on Netflix and they don't have to pay to go and see it, they then go back and perhaps look at some of these classics and, and sort of see where these came from. But you do find it hard to think if this wasn't Scorsese and it weren't these actors in these roles, would anybody make this film? Certainly not a three and a half hours long. I think it's been very indulgent in that. You could easily knock half an hour off with a editor that wasn't so in you know entwined in scorsese's presentation and how he puts his films across and the shots he chooses um but you know it is good if you're interested in film and you want to see people you know who are excellent at it do their best work then then certainly see this but then take the opportunity to jump off to some other work and see what led up to this moment you mentioned the running time there i i thought before doing the show today oh let's not bother talking about the running time because everyone's talking about the running time but I kind of do want to talk about the running time in the sense that and anyone can come in to answer this do we sort of give Martin Scorsese a pass to have a film of this length does that make sense do you know what I mean when I say I, that I don't think he Martin Scorsese needs a pass but you need to be able to justify the running length and to be honest, with this film, I saw it in the cinema, so I sat down for three and a half hours, saw a single setting in a cinema seat, and I did not notice a time go by. I was so absorbed in the story and the performances um, that I did not feel the three and a half hour in time. I've seen films, I saw Charlie's Angels last night, that's two <laughs> hours, and felt twice as long as an Irishman. Um, <laughs> if the film is good, 
the running time shouldn't matter. And you think the film is and good, don't you? And the film is worth it, yeah. yeah. Although, I agree, it could have had half an hour shaved off. But I think we've got used to seeing, um, you know, short series on Netflix um, and the other streaming services. Uh, I think I've seen um, a couple of articles saying this could have been a miniseries and you could have watched it in four episodes and not taken anything out. And that's certainly how I find it. I watched it in three sections because I had to. But I never felt I was you know, giving the film a disservice by coming away for it. And when I came back, I never felt that I missed anything. So I think if you saw this as, you know, like we're binging for episodes of a TV series, it wouldn't be any different than just imagining it as a three and a half hour film. I don't think it's so much a case of giving Scorsese a pass either. I think nothing puts me off more for like a first time filmmaker when they make a really, really long film. So I'm like, oh, you haven't really done anything to make to make me think that this is worth my time, whereas Scorsese certainly proved himself with the longer format. Um, and I actually do think this needs to be watched in one sitting. Uh, I, I Like Simon, I went to see it um, at the Cambridge Film Festival in the cinema, and um, the whole experience for me was just like watch, uh, reading a book. It's just mm -hmm. like you sit down, the film starts, you're opening the first page, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm here for a long time, I'm going to have to sit and enjoy it. <laughs> uh, I think there are certain chapters that maybe dwindled a little more than others, but overall I think it is really just about, it's unfortunate. I think it is about the experience of sitting in the cinema for three and a half hours and watching this film, because that's the way Scorsese, I think, wants, really wants you to see it. I think maybe no one in their right mind would finance a theatrical release of three and a half hours. Unfortunately, probably only Netflix would, which means it won't get that much of a theatrical release. Um, and do you think it's better watched in the cinema than it would be sat sort of at home? I don't have any alternate point of view on this I don't have any, alter, any alternate vantage point but for me I think it is it's very much a cinema watch because you really need to sit there and go through everything all at once and I imagine on Netflix a lot of people are just going to be skipping back and forth mm -hmm. trying to catch this bit that bit and pause whenever they want and they won't get the full experience of just sitting there and going through the whole story beginning to end mm -hmm. Ashley I'm going to come to you because I have a feeling you're not so much a fan of this film as perhaps the others in the room are. It, yeah, and I, I come as a huge fan of um, Goodfellas. That was my favourite film growing up because I'm dark. Um, but what this totally lacked for me was the, the showmanship of these gangster films. So rightly or wrongly, they are sort of celebrated for their terrible crimes. They're gangsters, a.k.a. they're rock stars. There's none of that cool stuff in there at all. It was just quite slow and meandering. And it's funny, Lorcan said, it's it's like you're sitting down to read a book. I experienced it like when you're not really paying attention, you get to the end of a page and you've got to go back to the top because you realise you haven't been following and it took me about five hours to get through this. And every time I scooted back, I was like, oh, no, I didn't really miss anything at all. The funnest bit was when I was... Um, the director basically tells all of America that the Italian Mafia shot JFK. I was like, that's cool. That was ballsy. Um, and more than that, they almost caused the end of the world with uh, <laughs> the Bay of Pigs. Oh, oh, I've missed mm. that entirely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I found it hard to stick with. I love all these guys. So Joe Pesci, I adore. Harvey Keitel, I really like. I quite like Ray Romano as well. I know Lorcan doesn't really like him. Um, but it, yeah, it was just indulgent for me, and that turns me right off. So I came into it with a three-and-a-half-hour running time, all these old guys who pretty much can get anything financed they want because of who they are. So I came into it quite negatively and came out of it quite negatively as well. But you mentioned there that it, it doesn't have the kind of showmanship of some of these other gangster films that we've seen. But what I've read, and um, actually one of the things that I quite liked about it, is it is a more 
subtle take on the genre and I think quite a lot of that comes from Robert De Niro's um, performance as Sheeran. You know, he's not as active as you would imagine when you see the poster. He's actually taking a step back for a lot of it. Um, I don't know if that is a negative or a, a positive nuance. Well, the whole thing's kind of just a rumination of ageing and getting older and so I think that's another reason why the film is so long. It's maybe you, you could say that it's a swan song but I think it's more just like these are all very old people and they all chipped in their two cents probably um, and one thing we haven't touched on was the special effects obviously mm-hmm. I think Robert De Niro's de-aged the most from like the age of like 35 to 85 or something mm-hmm. like that he still looks super old all the way through. <laughs> I mean, that's, so was that's, that you at thirty-five? <laughs> it's debatable about how successful the special effects are. There are certain sequences that are very much Scorsese's an old man and doesn't quite have his finger on the pulse on this certain scene. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I think the special effects are actually um, very impressive. I do. I agree um, that younger people finding this on Netflix stick with it. I think you're going to find it a bit boring. Go back and watch stuff like Casino and Goodfellas because those are class. Okay, I'm just checking the time, so I think I think we've got to move on. Um, thank you, everybody. The Irishman, like it or lump it, it is available to watch from the very comfort of your own home via Netflix, and it is a certificate fifteen. We're now going to take a turn to something perhaps a little more ludicrous in the world of crime with Ryan Johnson's murder mystery, Knives Out. <laughs> Harlem was cleaning house. Everyone in the family has possible motives. Was Harlan planning on cutting off Joni? Did he plan to fire Walter? Is Richard having an affair? That's some heavy-duty conjecture. Funny, Ransom, you skipped the funeral, but you're early for the will reading. Up your ass. Very nice, oh, Ransom. Ransom. You gotta do this more often. The family is truly desperate. When people get desperate, the knives come out. This is a twisted web. And we are not finished untangling it. Not yet. I keep waiting for the big reveal. All of them lied to me. There is one guilty party behind it all. You know something. Spill it. Oh my God. Tell me what happened to my grandfather. Ryan Johnson, director of 2012 sci-fi thriller Looper and 2017 space opera Star Wars The Last Jedi, moves away from sci-fi to explore murder mystery in Knives Out, a wildly stylish movie romp with a cast including Daniel Craig, Anna de Arnis, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis and Tony Collette, to name but a few. In the film, a family gathering goes rather awry after the apparent suicide of family patriarch Harlan Thromby, played by Christopher Plummer. But was it a suicide? And who can we really believe from this family of misfits? Now, as I mentioned there, um, Ryan Johnson, he's hes done a lot of sci-fi. Um, he's now moved into the sort of murder and mystery genre, but he's having a lot of fun with it. Uh, does he pull it off? Lorcan, I'm looking at you. Well, I think I, I'm, I've always been a huge fan of Ryan Johnson. I watched Brick when I was a teenager and just absolutely fell in love with it. And I think he's... Something about him, he, he loves the twist. And he not only loves the twist, but he loves the twist that completely reinforms the whole film. Um, uh, with Brick. Mm. You're working with Disney. 
Um, I think so. I think in that spirit of he likes twists, I think it was only a matter of time before he made a murder mystery. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I was hoping this was going to be kind of a game changer. I feel like if people in people's heads it might be built up as like the end all be all murder mystery that's going to like reinvent the format. Um, but it turns out to just be a very, very solid murder mystery, and it's very, very funny as well. So, a little disappointed, but overall, I mean, I, I would never tell someone to not go see this film. It's, it is absolutely fantastic. It's uh, you made a good point there when you're talking about um, the murder mystery genre and the, the fact that this is not a game changer. Neither is it in terms of its plot, perhaps as clever as people might be expecting. But I personally found it wildly entertaining. I really, really enjoyed this, perhaps more than I expected. How much of that can we put to some of the performances? I'm thinking particularly Daniel Craig's performance. Um, a lot of it is in the performance. Um, I mean, Daniel Craig, when he comes out with his accent at first, it's it's unbelievable. The fact he sticks with it um, throughout the entire film, um, what he's called CSI KFC at one point. <laughs> um, I mean, it is a full ensemble cast and there isn't a weak link in it. Uh, Michael Shannon's really funny. Um, Chris Evans almost steals it. But Anna de Armas, her performance is... Um, has she been really in anything before? Uh, Blade Runner 2049, okay. Knock Knock. She's been in quite a few films, but nothing... And she's going to be the new uh, Bond girl as well in the next Bond film. But I haven't seen her in anything that requires this much um, acting. She's pretty much the lead in it or whatever, you know as yeah. I understand yeah. um, and she pulls it off um, you know charismatic innocent as the housekeeper um, she is the heart of the film um, which you know it was one of the things that did surprise me about it but it's certainly probably one of the best films I've seen for a long time um, and, and, and I, I'd recommend everyone to go and see it as quickly as possible just so you don't get spoiled for any of the twists or um, surprises, because I think a lot of people will be watching it and a lot of people will be talking about it. Yeah. Well, we, we had a chat just before, um, while the trailer was on, actually, about how much that we want to say, but I think it's best, right, Ashley, that we don't say really anything at all about the plot. You have to kind of go in not really knowing anything. A half tiny bit ruined it on stage and screen on Thursday, but then luckily Simon was also there to give me the old signal to shush. Uh, it is really, really good. Please don't read anything about it. But it is all about the ensemble cast and the way they're brought to you, certainly at the beginning, lets everyone have their moment to shine. And it's, it's like a really weird, messed up jigsaw puzzle of a family, but everyone does have their own fully formed character. And it's really interesting to, to go through everyone's story as they sort of tell it and what they think of each other and how they viewed certain events and what they thought certain people meant by certain things. And then you go back and hear it from three other people. But yeah, even down to the, the lesser policemen, they're brilliantly cast and they're hilarious. Um, what's Paperboy's assistant called again, Darius? Keith Steinfeld. Yeah, but it's called Darius. In oh, thing. Darius yeah. in Atlanta. Darius yes. in Atlanta, <laughs> who was my favourite person and I just waved whenever he um, popped up. But yeah, it's it's an incredible cast. I can't believe they got all these people together and Daniel Craig is just adorable in this. And I was a bit worried when he popped up first as well. I was like, what is he doing? But it works and he does stick with it and it really fits well with the story. I mean, having said that about the um, make sure that you don't know anything about it going in because of twists and the story, and everything 
that's not the best thing about the film necessarily. No. I am so looking forward to watching it a second time, mm-hmm. um, probably this weekend, because even if you do know what's going on, the, it's so funny, the performances, I think you're going to get so much on repeated viewings um, that you can say. just watch it again. It's not just like, oh, there's a twist. It is just, everything about it is uh, wonderfully done. I kind of feel like the first time I've watched it, I, I'm thinking about the plot and the story, but it would be quite nice to go and see it again, to capture, to just enjoy it and enjoy those performances and, and kind of take a seat back and enjoy the ride sort of thing. It was it was really fun. And a lot, a lot of the reviews are about how fun it is, how mm. hilarious it is. But um, one thing I noticed that, I don't know if this is something that Ryan Johnson typically does, but there are sort of splashes of, I don't know, political and and social commentary, particularly around the central character. Does that add value to the film? It's. I think it's, it's actually quite rare for Ryan Johnson to do that. I don't think he's ever done that. And that kind of annoyed me a little bit because it's it, it that's kind of stuff always takes me out of the film. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, this is the moment where the character's going to talk about something topical and, and it's going to make me think, well, I just want to enjoy these characters in the setting and the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have to disagree with Simon slightly. I don't think Anna de Armas, uh, as the, effectively the protagonist, wasn't. She's she's got a lot to work with, but I think her character was quite passive. And you put her against these titans like Daniel Craig, Jimmy Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, all of whom have roles that massively play to their strengths as actors and how we perceive them. I think her character fell a bit flat for me, which which was a big problem for me because it's like okay, no matter no matter how this plot unfolds, I'm going to be kind of disappointed because I, I like I want whoever I want to like win out at the end probably isn't because I know we have a main character here that's just kind of flat. And that you'd say is more down to the the, the script rather than the screenplay. Sorry, rather than um, it's all it's, her performance. It's tricky. She's I I think it's a mix of both. She's she's good. But her character is passive, but she's not great, but she does have a lot to work with. So I think it's kind of a, a muddle in between. Okay. I think it must be quite difficult, though, when you have when you are playing against somebody like Daniel Craig, who is having, I think, the time of his life in this role as, as Benoit Blanc. And I, I, I'm not saying this is all the film is, but I, he really, really <coughs> personally made it for me. I thought he was so, so funny. The same after like Logan Lucky. He basically plays the same character. And he's so, so funny in Logan Lucky. I've not seen Logan Lucky. You should watch so Logan Lucky. It's very It's good. a rubbish film apart from Daniel Craig. Okay, thank you, Daniel Craig, for being so, so entertaining. Um, Right, we will cut it there. Uh, Knives Out is showing, I believe, at all cinemas in Cambridge currently, um, and it is a certificate 12A. Bums on seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. You are indeed listening to Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We are going to now turn our attention to Blue Story, a film you may have heard about after View's controversial decision to remove the film from its cinemas last week. Today, however, we are actually going to put that to one side and discuss the film itself. Let's hit the trailer. Don't let that get away. Jimmy! Have you done this to you? Your boy's done it. My boys? I'm gonna find this little young man and put it on the ground. What are you trying to prove? You know I'm not part of the gang, man. Whoever ain't riding with, man, is riding against, man. Remember that. An eye for a night, sometimes innocence die. Where's being real got you, huh? Mother's burying their sons, man. That ish ain't right. That's my son in there. I'm his mother, and no one ain't come to tell me nothing. Mother, I ain't fighting for what? 
A post code you don't even know. Fuck waiting for them to come for you, boy. You need to be going out for them. That was the trailer for Blue Story, which is directed by Andrew Onrubolu. It's a feature adaptation of Ratman's YouTube series about two young friends who become rivals in a street war. Guided by opposing postcodes, Peckham friends Timmy, played by Stephen Odubola, and Marco, played by Michael Ward, are torn apart by a series of events. Um, the film uh, by cinema goers in, in Peckham itself have hailed it as, as accurate and powerful. Uh, Simon, what do you think? Um, it certainly felt um, authentic, which is one of the important things for here. Um, it's, it's got its own voice. Um, which was quite interesting. Um, Andrew Onwubolu, a rap man who wrote and directed it, um, often appears as a sort of Greek chorus rapping about what's happened and what's going to be happening next to fill you in between the different sequences. Um, the story, seen a few times before, it's slightly obvious and that's probably where it does lapse in a bit and it it wasn't quite as interesting as I think it could have been. Um, and I must admit, I also had some problems because it, due to the authenticity, uh, a lot of the language um, that's used by the use, um, I mean, the fact that I'm calling use probably shows how old I am, but I did find it occasionally hard to follow what was going on. What because was of being the language. Said, because of the language, because of the flow of the teenagers talking to each other, um, the slang that they use, um, you know, unless you were for a certain age group, you could probably have problems following what's going on and who's who and what what story it is. Um, I mean, that's probably one of the the biggest flaws in the film. But again, that's possibly more my point of view rather than the actual fault of the film. Hmm. Um, but is, there's is... some very strong performances um, from Stephen Abadoglu and Michael Ward, mm-hmm. um, and overall, I was really quite into it. Um, the the kind of genre of the film, um, sort of crime drama, drama set in London, rival uh, gangs, particularly in the sort of postcode. It's a film that may have been seen before. Is there anything that you think makes this film Blue Story stand out amongst others that have come out in the last sort of ten, fifteen years? Um, I think the main thing about it would be the style um, of of Ratman, of the writing director. It definitely did feel, I said, quite authentic to London. It was very much time of its time and place. Many times you've seen it before, it's always been more of the American films um, where you quite often cover gang violence uh, and growing up in ghettos and things like that um, in the South Central. Um, but this definitely has a very much of a British feel to it. Um, and does it, in terms of the story around morality, is it, does it have an important message? Is it, is it trying to tell the audience? It something? is. I mean, without going on to the news, I mean, it is very, very clearly anti-gang. Um, mm-hmm. Some people say, oh, it's an anti-gang, but really we're glorifying inner violence and things like that. Not in this film. It is very, very... You know, it shows the violence, but it also shows the consequences of the violence, what happens, how people get caught up in it. Um, it is very, very clear. It is anti-gang, anti-violence. Mm. He, um, he says at the start that he's going to show you what's what it's all about and why the gangs are fighting. Um, and in a way, he doesn't, 
But I think that's actually the point is they are fighting over nothing and it is pointless. It is just, you know, getting revenge for the previous stabbing, for the next stabbing, the next stabbing, and again and again. It's just the endless cycle of violence and it's just saying it's all pointless, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very strong anti-violent message in it. Which you wouldn't know, actually, if you, if you like you say, I know we're not supposed to be talking about the news, but the, the kind of reports that we've seen and stuff, it's really healthy that we should be encouraging people to see this we, film we really because of its anti-gang We should message, be... Um, particularly young people. A lot of young people. In the, in the screening I saw last night, um, there were lots of people in there I would not normally see in a cinema. Um, you know, I'm there a lot, I have a good idea. But this film is reaching a new audience and mm -hmm. that is important. And I think it is important that people go and young people go and see this film. And particularly, you know, what it's what it's talking about and, and I don't know, the, the sort of treatment of um, violence, particularly young black teenagers killing and harming other young black teenagers and, and then the treatment of that and how it's done quite sensitively um, I feel like it is a very important film for people to watch and I'm, I'm just very glad that it's staying in cinemas for another week or so so I think that's a strong recommendation. Yeah, I was happy to hear that view are returning I think it should it is getting a bit of a um, increased showing um, and hopefully it's it, you know it's making a bit of money uh, yeah. for them so they will keep showing it yeah well that's good so I think that's a recommendation from the two of us uh, Blue Story is showing at I think it's just the light cinema at the moment in Cambridge um, and it is, a, it is a certificate 15 now we are taking a slight turn we're moving away from the world of crime and we're going to look at two films that sort of treat the world of fable slash fantasy uh, so soon i'm sure we're all going to be really excited to talk about frozen 2 uh, but first it's judy and punch they've come to report a crime right excellent my dear wife and tiny baby are missing <laughs> Do you remember what happened to you? That's the way to do it! Does that little punchy guy always win? He won't be winning anymore. The greatest show is what the critics say. <laughs> <laughs> Mirafalk's 17th century set film debut, Judy and Punch, takes place in the town of Seaside, which happens to be nowhere near the sea. It's a revisionist take on the puppet show Punch and Judy and stars Mia Wasikowska and Damon Herriman as Mr Punch and his wife, uh, Judy. Uh, a lot of talk about this sort of revisionist take. I mean, who's seen... I know Simon and Lorcan have seen this film. Have you seen the weird puppet show that was Pump and Pump, Pump, Punch and Judy many that it's based many, on many years ago I can't recall watching it but it's so ingrained in culture um, that I would have read stories about it seen photos I've seen clips yeah when I watched the film Judy and Punch all the elements in it I could recognize um, just from culture despite the fact I can't actually recall it so I've seen a Punch and Judy show before mm-hmm 
So um, the reason I asked is if you have seen Punch and Judy, the puppet show, it is actually very violent and a bit... It, it, with modern sensitivities, it's it's quite ridiculous now. Uh, Mira Fawkes here, she's taking on a... Um, like a revisionist uh, version of the story. How well does this work? Um, I personally found the film a bit of a mess. Uh, Okay. I think the... there's. I mean, there's some interesting ideas, like taking this, like, fairy tale community of uh, Irish, Scottish, Welsh and English, all, Mm -hmm. like, self-sufficient living in the forest. Um, But I don't think that was really utilised. I think the tone is... The tone is meandering at best and messy at worst. Uh, I don't think it's a plot spoiler that um, there's like an infant death that's bizarrely played for laughs, but then that's followed up by a very serious scene. Um, I think the main, main issue is that uh, Damon Harriman uh, obviously plays like this um, quite nasty uh, patriarchal figure, um, but he is so charismatic and has so many great monologues um damon harriman hot off the train hot off the charles manson train playing the same character in once upon a time in hollywood mm-hmm. and david fincher's mindhunter um and he's so charismatic that you kind of want him to win out anyway because mia wasikowski is obviously the sympathetic protagonist but she doesn't really have a lot to do and the camera focuses so much on damon harriman uh and then i think the whole film completely breaks down at the end i think it's the it's so confused that it just does not quite know what to say or how to say it okay we'll go in a bit more into that um with a few of your points in a second. i just wanted to apologize first because uh, unfortunately i don't think uh simon's mic was up when we were just having our initial conversation on the film at the beginning but we were just talking about how punch and judy the puppet show is quite entrenched in culture and that's quite clear from the film it is yeah yeah. Um, I mean, Punch and Judy's been around since, I think, 1670. Um, it does take almost like the theatre, the grotesque and the grand guignol um, parts of, you know, the violence um, and, the you know, and the show and it revels in the blood and the violence of stories, but it keeps getting told over and over again and somehow this has ended up for children. Um, it's almost like a seaside index, but there is a lot of violence in the story, mm-hmm. um, which we are now more aware isn't as suitable as it should, you know, is suitable, which is why it's good time for this reimagining um, of the story. So did you like this film um, then, or do you agree with Lorcan that it was a, a bit confusing and a I bit of a mess? I loved it. Um, I think I can understand where you can say it's a bit of a mess, but when we take all the individual elements of it, I thought it was really um, inventive, creative. Um, great performances by Damon Herriman, um, who, like I said, as Punch, he's basically the main protagonist of the mo- main Punch and Judy show, um, but as more of a second fiddle here to Judy. Um, this is why it's called Judy and Punch. Um, Mira Zakowska is always fantastic yeah. in anything she does, and she's fantastic again here. Um, the you know the setting the village setting where it, you know it's a make-believe place it's um made up of lots of other little you know the cultures little ideas it's not actually a realistic place a spent time um, and it almost has a feel to monty python to uh, some of some of the scenes in it where they celebrate stoning day and go out it's and it's occasionally <laughs> you know a bit too much homage but you know, it it kind of fit in where it does mix a comedy and horror, 
which is traditional and Punch and Judy, but then it does go further and say, actually, no, this is just horror. It is, you know, it's violent. It's not good. It deals in domestic violence. Um, and you're waiting for the revenge part of the film to come through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's part of the problem that then, Lorcan, I'm just thinking about what you said earlier in that, you know, Mia Wasikowska is playing the sympathetic protagonist here and she, and she does so very, very well, I yeah, think. This, yeah. But then you've got um, Damon Herriman's performance, which is sort of out there and the camera is very focused on him. And, you know, you almost said you were kind of rooting because he's so him. much his character is so much more charming and engaging and he's in so much of the film that that can't be an intentional choice surely we should be surely that's a problem in terms of the film's narrative if we're supposed to be more sympathetic towards oh definitely judy. yeah the, the film's called judy and punch but judy doesn't really have all that much to do i feel damon harriman's got the meat of the roles he's got me at the role but he, he is the known protagonist for you know most punch and judy but at no point is he ever sympathetic Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is a grotesque. He's treated that way. Um, but the film opens up with him doing an incredibly charismatic, like, welcome to the film, welcome yeah. to the show. And that's, as we straight off the bat, you really because, like his character. Because the film, like I said, it, it takes a traditional Punch and Judy show, which is what you get, where Punch is the main lead, or, you know, and and then it twists it and, and actually shows it. And you're like saying, this isn't how you should be viewing it. The film mm-hmm. itself twists it and say that's not right, that's not the way to do it, and um, it it shouldn't be celebrated in that way, but it still needs that at the beginning to kind of, like, base it in tradi- more traditional shows. Mm-hmm. I feel, um, I feel if like you just even... came out as a, a bad guy straight away, you wouldn't be following in the traditional Punch and Judy telling. I feel like even towards the end, though, he's got so much to work with that it, it, feels, it feels like they wanted to have the cake and eat it, they want to have the strong performance of Damon Harriman, but they also need to make him unlikable and it kind of gets into a grey area. At one point he's got, uh, he recites the monologue from mm-hmm. Gladiator. Yeah. yeah. For some reason. Yeah. That was, that bowled me over a little bit. I, I really liked because it does keep bringing in modern turns of phrase, um, which does make it more relevant to today. It does bring you out of the fancy. It's not completely set in the past. Um, I would, like to mention the soundtrack which I thought was absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. where quite a lot of the scenes you then get um, some great classical pieces played by modern synthesizers which is so anachronistic with the actual setting of the scene it does make you it, I think it deliberately brings you out and makes you evaluate what you are seeing and you know the artifice of it which which is important when you're actually telling you to come out and actually analyse the story as well so it it uses cinema to, to look at the creations of the story and the understanding of the characters um, and the artifice at the same time. I thought it did a fantastic job doing that. Yeah, and I think when we think about its comment on sort of toxic male aggression and particularly looking at the violence, there there is something there that I think is to be commended. And I think as a as a debut, um, Mira Fawkes has gone quite bold with this I'm wondering though and I think I know what you're both going to say judging from the discussion we've had if the kind of promise promise of the subject matter and the strength of the theme is perhaps more than the substance of the film itself uh, I don't I don't really have any qualms with the directing I think for a first time director she is fantastic um, I just I think 
a second look at the script just to iron out some details and maybe some contradictions here or there and just to even out the tone because like like I say like the way the way the infant de- death is handled is quite comedic and then it's quite serious and then uh, it's in the I think it's in the trailer where like uh, about at some point in the film Punch is trying to get rid of Judy's body and that's kind of played for laughs as well mm-hmm. um, so I think someone someone just taking a second look at the script uh, would have solved a lot of problems with this film because I think it is it is an enjoyable enough watch you just constantly I was constantly distracted by how uneven it was. Yeah, and there is a lot, I think, that is commendable with this film. I mean, Simon, you mentioned quite a few things um, before, so worth seeing still. It's still worth seeing. I mean, I can I can understand the people who are saying, who haven't enjoyed it and said it is a bit more, you know, bitty and it's all the elements don't quite hold together. Um, but for me, all the individual parts did add up mm-hmm. to more than a whole, but... Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Love a little bit of debate on the show. Thank you. Uh, Judy and Punch is showing at the Cambridge Arts Picture House and it's a certificate 15. Cambridge has a vibrant food and drink scene. On Flavour, we talk with a wide range of food and drink producers. We visit cafes, restaurants, pubs and independent food stores. We find out what's new and what's good. We review the food items in the papers. If it's about food and drink, if it's local and good, it's on Flavour. Alternate Saturdays, 12 till 1, on Cambridge 105, community radio in your city. To catch up with one of your favourite shows or interviews, listen to a variety of them again on our website. Find out what's best on the food and drink scene in Cambridge with flavour, film reviews with bums on seats, or the best of the guests from 105 Daytime. Those and many more are available to download now at cambridge105.fm. Bums on seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. That was Panic at the Disco's version of Into the Unknown, which is a song from Frozen 2, which you can now see in cinemas. And that's that version of the song actually comes over the final credits. So Frozen 2, directed by Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck, is a return to Arendelle uh, and our great friends, Anna, Elsa, Kristoff, Olaf, Olaf and Sven, um, which explores a new story uh, following the popular success of the first Frozen. Why was Elsa born uh, with magical powers? Um, and the answer is, in fact, calling her and uh, threatening her kingdom. Let's have a listen to the trailer. Find who is calling to you. They may have answers. I'm going with you. Anna? No. Excuse me, I climbed the North Mountain, survived a frozen heart, and saved you from my ex-boyfriend. So, you know, I'm coming. That's normal. Where are we? How did you get in the forest? The mist parted for us. Impossible. Where did you learn magic? Elsa, get out of there! You can't just follow me into fire. Then don't run into fire. 
Magic is very alluring. Without you, she may lose herself to it. Protect Arendelle at all costs. I believe in you, Elsa, more than anyone or anything. That was the trailer for Frozen 2. Um, I've already done a teeny bit of description before the trailer, so we'll just go straight in there. Nick, I'm going to come to you. Obviously, Frozen, huge, huge unparalleled success when it came out in, was it 2013? I think it was 2013. Um, How does this work as a follow-up? It works surprisingly well. Now, I've got six and eight-year-old daughters, um, and Frozen was massive, uh, when it came out, I tell you, I can know all the words to all the songs. I know the script backwards. I've seen it so many times. So I was a bit concerned going into this about how much of it is going to be a money grab, um, and but is it actually any good? Uh, and I was pleasantly surprised. Um, now, is it as good as Frozen or Moana or even Teen Titans Go to the Movies? No, but compared to some of the films I've had to endure over the last few years <laughs> with the girls. It's a step above. Um, I would put it just below those films. The the story makes sense. Um, They've tried to do something different with the characters, which is always good. It's not just the same thing repeated. I think what they tried to do with Olaf um, was particularly good because they're showing him now as, you know, a child trying to understand the world around him now, whereas before in the first one he was just completely naive and that was his charm. Makes the character a little harder to appreciate because he's asking the big questions and he's, you know, not quite as enjoyable. But I felt it all worked as a film. I felt the story was strong. Um, Some of the animation in it is astounding, um, which makes it worth seeing on the cinema. Some of the discussion I've had is, should it just be another straight-to-video sequel or did it deserve a cinema showing? And I think the highlights of the animation, um, particularly in Elsa's song, Into the Unknown, some of the scenes with uh, a water horse which you've seen the trailer come up um, really were spectacular and deserved to be seen on the screen. I think the songs aren't as good, but you would still listen to them once you listen to the soundtrack a couple of times. There are a few misjudged parts of it. Um, I think Christoph's big song, they tried to make an 80s power ballad video out of which, <laughs> yes. but they didn't go fine. I thought you're either going to do it completely straight, in which case the kids won't understand what you're doing, or you completely parody it, so the adults find it funny. But they didn't seem to do either. They sort of sat in the middle. They parodied it a little bit, but not enough to make it good. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, was it Into the Woods that had Chris Pine and somebody else singing yeah. dramatically power ballad style? And that was really, <laughs> really funny. It felt like that was trying to do that, but, like you say, not quite yeah, I don't getting think they there. quite made their minds up on which way they were going to go with it. Um, but it was good. Um, my girls enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, I know Simon wasn't so keen on it. Yes, um, let, let's hear an opposing good. view, shall we, Simon? Yeah. Um, I mean, Nick mentioned there about most Disney films, sequels previously and historically have always gone direct-to-video and there's no reason why this film shouldn't have gone direct-to-video if it wasn't for the billions that the first film made. Um, I find, I mean, to clarify, I'm a big fan of Frozen. I thought Frozen was amazing, the songs were great. I've listened to the soundtrack still. um, But in this one, I can't, came out of it and I couldn't recall any of the songs. Um, The more I've been played into the unknown, the more it just sounds like a dirge. it's not got the, you know, the melody of Let It Go or there's no song where I can do want to build a snowman in this film. I find the characters 
just seem to be the same as the last and there's no difference. Um, but isn't I, that what we're going for? Are, are we not going for the charm of the characters that we saw in the first have film? have a good story. I mean, it had... For some reason, it's the same characters, but there was no charm to them. Um, I can't really explain it, but... I mean, I came out of this film, and half an hour later, I'd pretty much forgotten all about it. I had some friends see it on Thursday, come into the office on Friday, talk all about it, and I was like, I can't remember any of those scenes, and mm. I'd only seen it five days beforehand. It was like they were talking about a film I hadn't seen. Um, I find it interesting, um, again, that you commented that the characters weren't as charming. I think it's because none of the characters are innocent anymore in this one. All of the main characters in the first one are completely innocent, completely naive, uh, and they're all just, you know, very nice. They see the world wide-eyed and open, and they're very happy with it. Every single one has realistic problems. They are, you know, they've got a hard rest of them because they've grown up, which is almost the message of the film in some point, that, you know, when you grow up inevitably, you know, you will life will be harder, and you'll have harder decisions to make. So I wonder how much of that played into you not feeling that characters were that charming anymore. Um, that could be a thing. They certainly weren't as fun, um, and the film wasn't as fun as the first film. Um, you know, and that's not... a big thing. <coughs> so you you were a fan of the first oh, yeah. Frozen. Was anybody here not a fan of the first Frozen? I personally wasn't the biggest fan. I didn't I didn't think there was much memorable memorable about it. And while the animation was the animation was good, I I really disliked the art direction. I recently went back and watched the original Pinocchio. Which just absolutely took my breath away, and then mm-hmm. watching Frozen, it's just like, it's oh, it's kind of miserable. Um, I think here to kind of bring up what um, Nick and uh, Simon have said that I think the reason it's not as engaging, or the characters aren't quite there, or the songs aren't as memorable, is because no one has any motivation in this entire movie. Everyone just starts off kind of fine, and then for some <laughs> reason, Elsa. Starts chasing a voice in the wind for no discernible reason, and then she she debates whether or not to chase the voice in the forest, and then she decides to chase the voice in the forest in a song that is literally just let it go with different words, um, and then everyone else just kind of follows her. So it's like, okay, I don't really know why else is going after this voice. Everyone's just kind of following her. Is the mild so, peril not perilous enough? It was less than mild peril, <laughs> minimal peril. So it's like everyone, no one has any motivation. The main motivation is Elsa chasing this mystery, which we don't know why she's doing, and everyone else is just kind of following her. Uh, and I thought, I actually really disliked Anna and Elsa in this. Anna, Anna um, the girlfriend of Kristoff, just constantly abandons, uh, abandons her boyfriend. And then after it takes only after he saved her twice does she apologize, and his response is, my love's not that fragile. It's like, that's borderline emotional abuse at that stage. <laughs> Um, wow, but it's no, a I, I, I actually agree with you. I mean, I was not a fan of Frozen Two. Ashley, I know you were a fan. So I, here you go. Here's the mic. So listen up. <laughs> here's the thing: Into the Unknown, straight up banger, total classic. Everyone should shush about that. But the rest of the songs were weaker. Every single song in the original, I did remember and could have probably recalled half the words within a day, but. The songs are a bit weak on this, but I thought they tried really hard and did a really good job with having an engaging, proper story. You've got an origin story and a sequel in one here. It did not feel like it was sort of just put together for the purpose of having a sequel. It just seemed a bit random to me, that whole I mean, backstory. You're saying they've got an origin story when there was no need for an origin story. It's just 
kind of pointless. I mean, now, now that um, Disney on Fox, they felt it was fine <laughs> to just remake The Fifth Element, which I'm not okay with. I think, I think the kids will be charmed and engaged. Hopefully they didn't feel as spoon-fed as I did as an adult. I picked up on all the life lessons. They were all quite obvious to me, but I'm not eight. So I think they did a really good job with that as well. So it's, it, it is, you will over, have to overcome challenges, but don't worry if Anna can do it, anyone can do it, because she is pretty annoying to be fair. I would very much like to see the live-action remake of this with the original cast, of actually the original Frozen, if they took that. I think that if, that's, if they follow this trend with all the other films, I think that could be quite awesome. And they've got more to come before we can get to Frozen, though, I think. Um, but maybe, actually, maybe that would have been better than a sequel. I wonder if um, something that I noticed was that it sort of tongue-in-cheek referenced the first film on many occasions there's that bit where Elsa's walking through ice stuff and it's basically reenactments of bits from the first Frozen and they're like oh look at this wasn't this funny um and it to me actually it sort of reminded me that actually this film is not as good as the first Frozen when I started watching this um for the first 10 minutes I was absolutely loving it I was really into it you know, almost tears in my eyes, you're that great, until I got to the point when I realised I wasn't reacting to this film, I was reacting to how I remembered the first film, which was, you know, the big thing. And it's like, it was the first film that was getting me emotional, nothing in this one. But I'm wondering if we are being harsh, perhaps, because we're always going to be very harsh on Disney sequels. I think... We're being very, very harsh in this, mainly because you know, Frozen was a classic. Frozen mm-hmm. was awesome. Loads of people loved it. It was very popular. That sequel was never going to live up to Frozen. Mm-hmm. I had to see Paw Patrol the movie last this year. Mm-hmm. That was atrocious. Some of the stuff they put out for kids these days to get the kids to go to the cinema are terrible. So to see a film like this, even though it's not as good as Frozen, it's still much better than a lot of things out there. So you certainly shouldn't be put off going to see it or taking the family to see it just because it's not quite as good as the first one. Oh, and it's still enjoyable. And I know the kids in my screening absolutely loved it. So I'd, I'd say give it a go for some family fun. Um, so that's Frozen 2, which is showing at the Light and View Cinemas, and it is a certificate PG. That is actually all we've got time for. That show's flown past. Thank you very much, everybody in the room. Uh, next show, which is happening on the 14th of December, is uh, our Christmas show. It's our last show before Christmas, so we will be delving into the world of Christmas films. Um, So please join us then. Uh, That's all from me. Thank you and bye-bye.